Thanks for being here this morning. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 55. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 55. And it says this, we've been looking at the life of Jesus, the person of Jesus, just looking at him through different um, events of his life on earth through the Gospels. And today, Luke 8, uh, verses 40 through 55, says this, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for gathering us together again to hear your word, to worship you to encourage each other in the Holy Spirit to pray. Would you would come now and just guide us through. Would you teach us from your word. That you would remove distractions. You would open our hearts. You'd help us to see you and to grow in our faith. Lord, I pray you would just strengthen us, encourage us, and help us. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How do you handle interruptions. How do you deal when, uh, with interruptions that come up? But what's your response uh, to interruptions? And how do interruptions affect your faith? 
I mean, there are, there are numerous kinds of interruptions. There's awesome interruptions, which I saw uh, yesterday on the news at a, a big football, uh, I think it was a Clemson game. Uh, they, they brought a family out to honor veterans, and in the middle of that ceremony, out of the back came the veteran himself who had been away from his family for months and interrupted the event, which he was supposed to do. That's an awesome interruption. Everybody just cheered and erupted over that. There's awesome interruptions, then there's awkward interruptions when you're driving someplace and you get pulled over um, with your kids in the car and you have to explain why you were speeding or why you weren't speeding or with your wife, uh, why you didn't stop fully at that stop sign uh, like I did on Monday uh, coming back from Wisconsin. There's awkward interruptions and how do you respond to those? And then there's awful interruptions as well, which is what recently happened in Minnesota to the son of Mike Zimmer at 38 years of age, uh, died about a week ago, and his sister, who they just lost their mom a year or two ago, wrote about it and said what a strength her brother had been to him, even though he had some struggles, but she said this, she said, please pray for our family as we try to navigate through this. Lord, we need your strength now more than ever. Please don't let us lose faith. And that was the interruptions that was happening to these two individuals in Luke chapter 8. They were awful. Awful interruptions in their life. And in those interruptions, they interrupt Jesus's life. And how Jesus handles interruptions highlights for us in this passage the hope of faith when it's set on the right object, which is Jesus Christ. Most of us don't want our responses to bad interruptions to be exposed. We don't want people to always see how we handle some awkward or awful interruptions. But Jesus embraces interruptions, and then he interrupts the eruption. The interruptions themselves and he exposes them. I mean, the setting of Luke chapter 8 is Jesus had been gone. He'd been, he'd been traveling. He had this long ministry. He had healed numerous peoples. Uh, he had just healed this man who had been uh, possessed by a demon and he had long stretch of ministry, gets in a boat, starts to head back, and when he gets back on the other side, the people had heard about it. They'd seen all the events. They'd heard the news of who he was. I mean, he was erupting in popularity. And it says, now when Jesus returned, there was this crowd that had welcomed him, and they were waiting for him. And Jesus gets out of the boat, and he starts to go to wherever Jesus was planning on going. He was heading somewhere. He had a destination that he was intending to go to. After all this time of ministry, he, got, he, had, he had left there. He had gotten there. And as soon as he gets on shore, two troubled individuals interrupt him. In this story, it's, it's two interruptions. It's all interruptions all the way through. The first one is Jairus. There's a man, man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And many times in scriptures, the religious leaders did not follow Jesus. So it just goes to show you can't whitewash everyone. 
Here was a leader of the synagogue, a man named Jairus. He was a leader in the community. He was a prominent community leader. It was his job in the synagogue to set up the order of service. He had the events. He made sure that there was the right person to read the scripture, the right person to do all the events. He had planned all these things out. That was his job, very prominent in the community. His daughter was dying. And they had done everything that they could to help her out. She was in the process of dying. He had tried everything. And he runs up to Jesus. He hears he's coming back and falling at Jesus' feet. He begs Jesus to come. My daughter's dying. She's in the process of dying. Just come to my house. Come get me. The people made a way. He gets up there. He falls in front of Jesus' feet. He'd done everything that they possibly could do. His 12-year-old daughter's dying. He's going to do anything. He pressed through. He's prominent as a leader in society. People saw him. They maybe knew that his daughter had been sick, but now she's on the verge of dying. She comes and he interrupts Jesus and he says, please come. And Jesus went. So wherever he was going, he turned and started to go to where Jairus' daughter was. I mean, time is of the essence. They, they have no other hope. He's absolutely hopeless unless Jesus can come back and do something to help his daughter survive. And in that process, where he's guiding Jesus, this crowd's all over him, there's a woman who had this discharge of blood for 12 years who had spent all her money. She was poor. She also was helpless and hopeless. She was at the end of her rope. She'd done everything she could do. For 12 years, she'd woke, woken up with this, and because of this disease that had been a part of her life, she was an unclean woman as part of the Jewish law. She couldn't be a part of society. She couldn't be a part of the worship. She couldn't be uh, people who weren't supposed to touch her. And so she had, been, had to be ostracized for 12 years. And in this whole process of being left alone, spending money, going to the doctors, trying to figure out what to do to get help, nobody could help her. She'd spent all of her living on the physicians. Nothing was able to help her. She also was helpless and hopeless, and time was expiring for her. And she knew Jesus was coming, so she came up in the, the crowd. And she, she just reached out and touched the fringe of Jesus' garment, which all the Jewish uh, men, they would have had whatever their garments was, they would have these tassels and the ends of them that would have reminded them about obeying God in the Old Testament. So she just reached, snuck up behind Jesus, and she reached out, she grabbed the fringe of it, and she was healed. And immediately, it says, the discharge had ceased. Both of these people were down to the end, and both of these people were in desperate need. And there are people that are just like us. One was very prominent, and one was very poor. One was well-known in the community, and one was just ceremonially unclean. People knew it. You weren't supposed to touch him. You touch her. You avoided her. She avoided you. Both of them had a need of time was of the essence, and time was 
expiring, and they're just like us. Human progress that we go through, it doesn't change things. It just seems to constantly produce need and just constantly produces pain. We, we, we are powerless to prevent pain, to stop suffering. And not only that, we have other pains that cause us to struggle. We have things that we have besetting sins that just keep nagging us, that we keep can't quite shake. We have broken relationships, personal frustrations that can lead to great discouragements or to just defeats. There's chronic illnesses. There's just the, and on top of all that, just this reality of death, which is the great interrupter. That there is a time when all of us will expire unless Jesus comes back. These are the troubles that interrupt our lives. How do those troubles and those interruptions affect your faith? How do you deal with that? Here's Jesus heading somewhere, and he gets interrupted by two people with two desperate needs, but absolutely hopeless and absolutely helpless. And those people are just like us, who have all these struggles, all these interruptions in life, and we have to figure out which way we're going to go with them, what are we going to do to deal with them. Where are you turning when you're tripped up by the interruptions of life? What is it you're really turning to? Is it food? Is it your credit card? Is it to some friends to get you through? Or you try to interrupt your interruptions by filling it with other things? Is it TV? Is it the computer scrolling on your phone? Where, where, where are you turning when all your interruptions interrupt you? And how do you deal with that? How does it deal with your faith? These people who are helpless and hopeless, they both went and they interrupted Jesus, and Jesus' response to that was to totally expose interruption. And what's the desire of these interruptions that we have? Well, what's the desire of sins, of this, these, the broken relationships, the chronic illnesses, the personal frustrations, even death itself. What's the desire of all those things? The, all, all of these things. The, what's the, the issue that this man had with his 12-year-old daughter dying and this issue that this woman had with her issue of blood, her chronic illness? All of them were, effect, were the effects of sin. I mean, they, they, they happened for real reasons. They experienced them because of sin, the fallenness and the brokenness of the world because of Satan's lie that we bought and then we chose to be victims and victimizers to our own selves. And so we all struggle with these interruptions in life. We try to push them off as much as we can. And the Bible says that Satan's desire in these interruptions is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he wants to do with your life. He wants just to interrupt you with interruptions that are the effects of sin and his desire for your life is to kill you, to steal from you, and destroy from you. And Jesus, in this scene, he's going to his thing and then he's interrupted through the process. And here's how he deals with these interruptions. He exposes interruptions. The woman comes up to Jesus and she touches him. 
She just reaches out and touches him. And Jesus' response is he pauses. I mean, he's on the way to save the life of a 12-year-old girl who's dying. You can't forget that. That's where he's heading. This woman touches him. He's surrounded by this mass of people who are crowded around him. He feels somebody touch him, he says. Not even on his body. It's part of his clothes. And he stops. And he says, who touched me? And and people are just like, what are you talking about? I mean, the, the scene is like if you saw Alabama and Tennessee play after they won, and Tennessee won the game, and they stormed the field. It was just a mass of people everywhere. And you're trying to ask, who touched the coach? Well, everybody touched the coach. I mean, this is, this is what the picture is. These are people who are crammed in, jammed in together. Is how the word is. It's, it was almost like they're just pressed together. And Peter said, hears Jesus say, who, who touched me? After he paused, and he's like, what do you mean who touched you? There's, there's people all over you. And Jesus said, but someone touched me, and I perceive the power has gone out from me. Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. And I think he knew. He knew what had just happened. He obviously knew. And he paused and he called out who touched him so that the woman could come forward and confess her faith. And it says the woman saw that she was not hidden anymore. I mean, she was trying to sneak through. But then she was called out and she came trembling before Jesus, falling down before him and declared in his presence that I was the one that touched you. And when I touched you, I was healed. And Jesus' response to her is, daughter, which Jesus was probably younger than this woman. His response to her was, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus paused in the midst to let her profess her faith, to let her glorify God, to let her show and demonstrate and publicly proclaim her faith, which is the last thing this woman wanted to do. She wasn't supposed to be touching anybody. Nobody was supposed to be touching her, let alone this great teacher. And by touching Jesus... According to Old Testament law, Jesus would have been considered unclean. And Jesus doesn't care. He stops in the midst of the massive crowd and says, who touched me? And he lets everybody know this unclean woman touched me and she's no longer unclean because her faith has made her whole. And he, so this woman left with great confidence. Jesus just, he just exposed it. He just said, I'm going to kill, steal, and destroy from what Satan wants to do and interrupt in your life by your faith, and your faith has made you home, which is the great story. We could just end there. But the problem is there's still this dying girl. And Jairus, the whole time, the daughter of this 12-year-old girl who was dying is watching this whole scene. I mean, if my son are in trouble, and I asked you to help, and you paused on the way, I would be struggling. 
And Jairus knows his daughter's time is expiring. She's dying. And this whole time he's waiting. And he says, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Which implies that Jairus was serious and had been troubling Jesus the whole way, trying to push people out of the way. Come this way. Move this way. Let's go. We got to get here. She's dying. And Jesus pauses to be interrupted. And now he's paused to be interrupted again. They came back and said, don't worry about it. Quit bothering Jesus. She is healed. Time is expired. And Jesus hears that. And he looks over at Jairus. Who's just got to be devastated. All the thoughts going through his mind. If you just would have hurried up. If you wouldn't have stopped to talk to that woman. This crowd would just got over my way. Jesus just looks at him and he says, Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. And he just calms the interruption. He just, Jesus just comes in and he says, don't be afraid because his intent was to crush fear. Philip Ryken said, faith and fear always stand in opposition. This means we have a choice to make. Either we can be afraid of all the things that might go wrong and have gone wrong, Well, we can trust Jesus to see us through. This was the question that Jairus was dealing with. And Jesus comes in. He gets to the house. He tells Peter, James, and John, hey, come with me. He calls the mom and dad in. And all these people are out there just wailing and crying because she was a prominent figure. And when someone died, they would have called in the professional mourners because they made money. And he was probably pretty wealthy and prominent. So everybody showed up and they're just out there screaming and wailing and crying. And Jesus looks at him and says, stop weeping. Stop crying. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they just, clearly they weren't really worked up about it because they instantly start laughing. They start laughing at him because they know she's dead. She wasn't just swooning. She hadn't just passed out. People had been in the room. They'd checked her pulse. She was dead. And Jesus says, stop crying. Stop crying. So he walks in, walks up to the daughter, takes her hand, says, child, arise. And she wakes up, and she's alive And he tells their parents, all right, let's keep moving. Let's keep getting life. Get her some food. And don't tell anybody else what's going on. You might say, why can't this stuff happen in my life? Why can't this be what takes place in all my interruptions? I've gone to Jesus for prayer. I've asked God to do all these things. Why Why isn't this taking place with the interruptions that interrupt me and constantly start and keep interrupting me? This can happen in our lives because the power of Jesus can happen. We're called to embrace faith in the world of our interruptions. And this is a decision. Jesus said to this, this woman and Jairus, they both had a decision to make. Jairus could have said, keep, keep bringing the doctors, keep doing something. But he said, no, I'm going to go find Jesus. I'm going to try to get Jesus to help me. The woman could have said, I've tried everything. I've got no money. There's no way I can make it to Jesus. I'm, I'm just going to give up. 
and let time expire. Neither one of them did that. Both of them made the decision to have faith in Jesus. And, and they just they chose, I'm going to just keep going to Jesus. Faith is not a one-time thing. It's an enduring thing. Faith is a constant decision to keep trusting and following in Jesus. It's really just this constant drive-in and dine-in. We've got to just dive into it. How do we just keep embracing faith when we're just struggling with all these interruptions that have happened in your life? How do you embrace faith? The, the, the greatest way to help increase and help you grab and reach out in faith is really through repentance. It's recognizing who you are and who Jesus Christ is. And it's saying, it's, just, it's through re- repentance and realizing that God gives great grace to those who come to him. This is what he does. Repentance is kind of like the windshield wipers for interrupted faith. When we have all these problems, all these struggles, we think things are going out the wrong way, we can't figure it out, and the, the windshield of our life gets clogged up. We say we trust in God, but we're really not trusting in God. Repentance is what turns that on and says, wait a second, Jesus is who he says he is. He has power over disease and he has power over death. And it is by grace alone, through faith alone, that we can know this. And it's a gift of God to us, so we repent and we just embrace this. We need to remember that the power of Christ is always possible. There is no inability with God no matter what the situation is. The problem is, We don't really believe that. You don't really believe that for your greatest interruption. You don't really believe that the power of Christ is always possible. You think it's sometimes possible. It's possible for the story you read that when it happened 50 years ago, it's possible for the friend that you know of that it happened to, their cousin, you you believe it might be out there. But you don't really believe the power of Christ is always possible, that there is no inability with God no matter the, the situation. This was the situation, absolute inability. There was nothing that Jairus could do. There was nothing this woman could do. The only thing they had was faith. And they put their faith in Jesus Christ. The power of Christ is always possible. This is how we embrace faith. The other way we embrace faith is we have to remember that the path of faith is paved with frustrations and interruptions. It's ordinary, and that's, it's not an oddity. If you say, I'm a follower of Christ, and now my life is harder. I'm a follower of Christ, and there's this constant frustrations. There's these interruptions. It doesn't seem to get better. The path of faith through Scripture is paved by frustrations and interruptions. That's the ordinary way it is for the people of God. Jesus said, in this life, we should expect troubles. You say, well, what about Romans 8.28? For, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. That's true. It's absolutely true. So here's how we embrace faith with all these interruptions. Well, if that's true, then how am I supposed to embrace faith when this just doesn't get fixed and this getting worse? I mean, things are just getting more difficult. How do I embrace faith? How do I reach out in faith to Christ when it's just filled with frustrations, interruptions? And I believe Romans 8, 20, 
8. Through faith. You reach out in faith and say, yeah, this frustration and this interruption in my life is long, it's hard, I don't see any way out of it, and it might not change. But that's not odd, that's ordinary. But what also is true is that all things work together for good to those who love God. So whatever reason that God has this frustration and interruption in my life is because I need it. There's a reason for it. He's doing something with it. That takes faith to believe that, to keep getting up the next day, keep walking into it. John Newton said this, everything is necessary that God sends, and nothing can be necessary that he withholds. What does God want for you? What does he want for me? He wants us to be made more like Jesus Christ. So if he sends an interruption, and if he sends some frustrations in your life that last for a long time, and you're a child of God, and you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone, and it's not changing, the response is just not to say, I'm done with God, I'm going to be done with Christ, I'm going to walk away from faith, I'm just going to give it up. That's not the response of faith. The response of faith is, well, God, everything is necessary that you send, and nothing can be necessary that you withhold. So what you're putting through me through right now is for a good reason. Because you are a good and loving God. And we reach out in faith and embrace that. And progress in faith is made by going through the frustrations and the interruptions. It's not by trying to avoid them. It's not by trying to walk away from God. This, this woman that was trying to get to Jesus... She had to press through this crowd. This went against everything that she'd been able to do for 12 years. She knew she was supposed to avoid people. She knew she wasn't supposed to touch anybody. Massive crowd. How, how am I going to get to Jesus? What if somebody notices me before I, I'm in the third person in and they kick me back out? It didn't, she didn't matter to her. She had, she had faith. She kept pressing through and she even snuck up behind me. Progress in faith, it's, it's made by going through the frustrations and the interruptions. There is a retreat center in Texas that Elizabeth Elliot would talk about. And it was just, you, to get there, you drive through this rocky road, this, through this canyon. And when you get to that point, the steep canyon, you drive right into what is a riverbank. And then there's a sign that says, yes, you drive in the river. That's how you get to the retreat. So you drive into the river to get to the retreat center. This is how you build your faith. This is how you progress in faith. You go through it. You drive through the river, trusting the promises of God. How, how do you build your faith? You build your faith on the Word of God, on prayer, and, on the and in the community of faith. You take God's Word as promises, and you hold on to them. When Moses was getting ready to go into, told to tell the people to go into the promised land, this is what God said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I said, he said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. 
loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. The Lord your God himself will go before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall shall dispossess them and Joshua will go over as your head. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That's why you build your faith. You take the promises of God, you hear his word, you pray, you get around people of the community of faith who say, you know, you just need to keep trusting God. You just keep trusting God. People who will pray with you, who will share scripture with you and you drive through it. At the end of the story, these two interrupting miracles, there's a healed woman and a living girl who one day, both of them will die. Again, Jesus said to her parents, and her parents were amazed by this, this, but he charged them to tell no one what happened. What's the, what's the purpose? The purpose, why didn't Jesus say, go tell everybody now? Well, one of the reasons why he didn't say that, because there was more to be done. If Jesus did not finish and fulfill his ministry, these were great stories, but that would be the end of it. But there was more to be done Jesus had to go the rest of the way. He had to go all the way to the cross. He had to take sin and the attack of Satan and kill it at the cross, and he had to rise from the dead so that we can have hope. The purpose of these pictures is always to point us to a greater purpose. The point of your interruptions that God's trying to do in you is to point you to a greater purpose. Purpose. He, he wants you to see that this is not the end. There is a future and there is a hope for the people of God. And he wants to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. The last year or so, I've spent in my head or reading, repeating Psalm 23 over and over and over. Sometimes, just barely able to hold on with frustrations and interruptions and trying to say, I, I want to believe this. And I want to believe this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And reading it and reading it and reading it. And there was a girl years ago who's memorized Psalm 23 and she was so excited about telling it to her Sunday school teacher, so she got up and she, she said, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. And listen, to the degree that your faith is set on Jesus Christ alone, that misquote will never be interrupted for correction. The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. Is that your heart's desire? When you think of your interruptions and you see what Jesus is doing, if your interruptions aren't pointing you to say, the Lord's my shepherd, that's all I want, then ask the Holy Spirit to do that because Jesus 
takes interruptions and he exposes them and he demonstrates the power of faith in him. Let's pray.